Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. This is Buddy Franklin. This is the greatest showman. Got the handball off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Oh, who else? McDonald. It's that time again. Welcome to Americans Watching the Footy. I'm Jefferson Steelflex. I am Alvin Yakatori, and none of you understood that reference. If you got that reference, you're a fan of one of the best teen sitcoms of all time, so appreciate that. Hopefully you're not as creepy of a person as one of the stars ended up being. Anyway, this is our round one preview. Jefferson Steelflex, also known as Ethan Castle. Alvin Yakatori, also known as Benjamin Castle. I'm here in South San Francisco, California, as usual. I'm not. Um, yeah, where are you? I am in Chandler, Arizona. Here for spring training in the World Baseball Classic, feeling especially patriotic tonight after the U.S. gave Canada a spanking so bad their bottoms are redder than the maple leaf on their flag. I'm also joined here by Brian Harambe, the funny cat. I'm not sure if his sneeze just now will appear on the waveform, but bless you, Grime. I didn't hear it. I hope it was cute. Oh, pretty much everything he does is cute. I will be back to watch Geelong Thursday night with Grime, or Friday morning, technically. I will be watching the opening match from here in Arizona, though. And we'll be breaking down each of these nine games in round one. I don't think this is going to be a super in-depth you know, preview of each game because we've had hypotheses that we've run through during the home-and-away previews, but until we really see those be put into action, they can't really be, be theories yet. So if you really want to dive into each of the 18 teams and what we think about them and the overall makeup of their schedule, our sleeper picks for big seasons or important seasons at least, go back through and listen to those uh, three-part of the home-and-away preview. Yeah, this will probably be shorter than just about any round preview that has all 18 clubs playing. But nonetheless, I am super excited to get started here. Before we do, I expected a little bit of news, everyone, before the home and away season officially started. And there are a few items to start with. And I think the first one to emerge was a couple days ago. The bars will be back. The bars are back. The The bars bars are are back. back. An agreement was reached between Collingwood and Port Adelaide, something that I don't think would have ever happened under Eddie McGuire's watch. And Port will be wearing the classic Wharf Pylon jersey, which is what it actually is instead of prison bars. I think that was actually an epithet that was brought on by Norwood fans. But Port's going to be wearing their classic uniforms for Showdown 53 in round three. It appears to be a one-off thing for now, but hopefully that changes because I was talking with Donnie Hess of what's now Donnie's disposal, previously fourth and long last night with our fantasy draft, and he was talking about how when Collingwood and Port signed the agreement, Eddie McGuire knew that the heritage round was going to go away, and so it was a bit of a con to think that Port were going to be able to wear their uniforms more than they actually have been able to do. Yeah, they weren't allowed to wear those then either. I just remember, you know, retro round, other than, like, the people on the worst post-game show wearing funny clothes, there was really nothing to it. I mean, Frio was probably the club that really went into it the most. It just needs to be a more unified effort across the league, whatever it's supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, when the Cats wore their collars, it wasn't for that round. It was just when they felt like doing it. The most important league-wide news, probably, it's like this, but brewing a while now it has really come to a head in the past couple days is that no pun intended yeah no intended at all a class action concussion lawsuit has been filed by up to 64 players against the AFL with the lead plaintiff being two-time Geelong Premiership player Max Rook 
interesting timing that the AFL also announced that they're putting $25 million toward the study of long-term effects in the footy at the same time. This is the start of a story. Far from the end, we'll see what exactly the terms are that are going to be laid down in this lawsuit and if there's really going to be any satisfying conclusion because there really wasn't when there was a similar saga here in the U.S. with the NFL. Other unsettling news. Dermot Brereton is battling skin cancer, so best wishes to him. This was publicized a couple days ago. Uh, said there are going to be a couple graphs involved. Seems like a more aggressive form, unfortunately. Um, hopefully we'll be able to see him return to his media duties at some point during the season. That, that would likely be a sign of progress. This last item here is a nice lead into these first couple games, wouldn't you say, Ethan? Yeah, there's been new turf laid down at the MCG, and there's concern that maybe it hasn't been set long enough to be in game condition, so if we see, like, a giant piece of turf come up, like, you know, a carpet or something. Or if there are, like, some particularly nasty lower body injuries this round, I'm sure that that'll be the talk of things there. You know, it's not uncommon for these sorts of renovations to be done between cricket and footy season, the new turfs being installed. I do want to really get into cricket more also, and I should really make an effort to do that this next winter here, summer in Australia. And I think we've talked about it before. There's There are plans in place for a 15,000 capacity cricket oval less than an hour south of us at the Santa Clara County Fairgrounds. So that maybe could be a good spot for hosting, whether it's USAFL or maybe if the AFL brings some stuff over here, even if it's a preseason pit out, we will certainly be there. Yeah, when I think of bad field stuff, you know, the Super Bowl recently had some issues. Um, the NCAA basketball championship game, the court for the Final Four was not up to par in New Orleans. Levi's Stadium's turf, someone complains about every fucking week. Hopefully it's set enough in time because Richmond and Carlton ought to be some premier entertainment to start the season. Maybe not premier entertainment, but premier, prime. We're back to having the Tigers and Blues starting the season against each other. It's been the Thursday matchup most of the time. It was the second game last year because you had the grand final rematch on the Wednesday. And just unfortunately, as cool as I thought that concept was, the attendance numbers didn't really reflect positively, so I can see why it was a one-off thing. The general tickets have sold out for the Thursday opener, though. And why wouldn't they with what these teams might have to offer? You may recall last year, Carlton had a huge fourth quarter to win the first meeting by 25. Sam Doherty returning and kicking a goal. They met again in round 14 where Richmond won by 15 and people got all mad over Shea Bolton having fun. So Richmond have won 12 of 13 against Carlton going back to 2014. But as much as we've dunked on Carlton for how their season ended, let's remember that season opening win over Richmond was part of a really nice start for them that kind of changed the narrative surrounding the club, changed the expectations, and have shown that they meant business. It was mostly just seeing, oh, wow, Michael Voss is giving his top players really room to use their natural talent rather than try to pigeonhole them into a system that might not necessarily fit them. You and I both talked about this when we've been talking about the Blues in particular over this offseason, how for the compromise between what the coach wants and what the players' skill set facilitates should be more toward the players. I mean, what even was David Teague's system? I think he was bashing two bricks together. <laughs> I'm not sure if he believed in peace based on the results that he got. I mean, they were peacefully submitting to their opponents. Anyway, this will get underway at 1.20 a.m. for us on the West Coast of the United States on Thursday. If you're on the East Coast, it starts at the nicest time, 4.20. Yeah, I guess because the clock won't ever show 69. Yeah. I mean, you'll find some weird timekeeping system to do something, I guess. Anyway, in Melbourne, 7.20 p.m., Unfortunately, the opening game is only on Fox Soccer Plus, so not super accessible to viewers outside of Australia. So hope you got watch AFL like we do. Before we go any further, looks like Carlton's number 11 pick and number 30 pick 
Ollie Hollins and Lockie Cowan will be debuting. That was confirmed yesterday with Michael Voss getting calls from both of their dads during his uh, meeting with the players to break the news. And their top two picks have also signed extensions through 2026. So another two years of their entry-level contracts. Looking at injuries for Richmond, sounds like Dion Prestius should be good to go for round one. He has a pectoral injury. We'll see about Marlon Pickett, Jaden Short, Jack Ross, and Jack Graham. Short seemed to be looking better than expected given what was had going on with him the few weeks prior with his cap injury. There are a lot of players for the Tigers are tests for this round. Dion Prescia and Tom Lynch chiefly among them. We do know that Josh Gibkiss will be missing the first few rounds for Richmond with a hamstring injury. Richmond are also confirmed to be without Yvonne Soldo, who has back soreness, and Robbie Tarrant, who has a hip injury. They'll both be evaluated within the next couple weeks for a potential return. There is a bit of unpredictability all around, though, especially with like what the interchanges could look like, because there are so many guys that are considered kind of tests or questionable would be like the American injury term. And so many of those players are versatile. And what was so fascinating about Richmond all of last season for us is to see, you know, where are these guys going to be this week? With Gibkiss being out for the start of the season, I won't be surprised to see Noah Balta playing a bit more in the back. I will definitely also be keeping an eye on where Liam Baker ends up. He's a player that I drafted for fantasy, so we'll see how that goes for me. Baker recovered very quickly from an appendectomy this summer. As for the Blues, we've known for a while that Sam Walsh is going to be missing first couple games because they waited too long to have his herniated disc operated on. We also know that Jordan Boyd has a foot injury and that Lockie Fogarty is likely to be out with a back problem. So really watch for Ollie Hollins and Lockie Cowan to have relevant time probably is more outside midfielders right from the start, along with Blake Akers on the wing. Any predictions on who scores the first goal of the season? It almost feels too easy to say Shea Bolton. I mean, I think I could see Bolton having the first scoring shot of the season and missing. Any ideas yourself, Ethan? I'm going to go Tim Taranto, just for something a little different. Also, if you want to do a little checklist, I'm sure at some point, BT will talk about how good it is to be back at the footy. Oh, absolutely. And will he talk about how perfect the bounce is to start the season? I hope so. I also feel good about getting, you know, a good start Richmond after the Tigers get that first goal from Tim Taranto. I'm going to go with Zach Fisher. You took a Tiger, I'll take a blue. And it was a player who played more on the outside of the Oval last year. It was Ed Langdon who scored the first goal of the 2022 season. Richmond favored by seven and a half, which I feel is pretty fair. I think this is a hard match to really pick a winner on. I'm going to do tipping this year through the AFL website. I think I'm going to go Richmond, but I can see this going either way. I just will defer to the team that's had the better of the head-to-head results. We're getting our odds from Bovada, and obviously this is still... A little early as we're recording this before a lot of teams had out their official injury reports. Those of them that have put them out will definitely be talking about what we've seen. There are definitely some players up in the air for Geelong as the reigning premiers get their season started on Friday night, the 17th against Collingwood. That's also at the G, so it's going to be a Collingwood home game functionally. Bounce time, Lee, is 740. 4.40 a.m. Eastern, 1.40 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time in the United States. You'll be able to catch this on Fox Sports 2. Two great matchups between these teams last year. You know, times of the year when they met where both teams were the main characters. I mean, I don't know if that was as much the case in round three. Geelong made themselves the main character in a good way by coming back from 37 down late in the third quarter. They kicked the last seven goals and ended up winning by 13. Specifically, remember Isaac Quainer having a really nice first half and then the Cats stopped letting him intercept everything. Yeah, for a, for a smaller body player, I was surprised at how much he was really giving it to Geelong on the defensive end. Not something you would expect. And then obviously the qualifying final, Jordan Ngoi playing great, 
Jeremy Cameron and Ash Johnson trading insane goals. Max Holmes getting the late winner. Holmes thought the Cats were already leading. Gary Rowan stepping up in crunch time. Although, funnily, as you say that, he ended up dropping that mark that would have probably gotten him an easy fourth goal rather than having to scramble it to Holmes. That's one where I've gone back and watched the actual match highlights. Probably more than I've watched the highlights from the grand final, honestly. I mean, the grand final was fun in it being a cakewalk and a send-off for Selwood with that goal at the very end. But in terms of a game that really gets your heart racing, I can understand why you'd go to that final and maybe to the Richmond game. Speaking of Joel Selwood, he will be leading a march from Federation Square along with CEO Steve Hawking before the game. I'd like to think it would be really hard to lose after that, but knowing how Collingwood was last year, knowing how hungry they'll be, I can't bring myself to feel great about it. If I wasn't a Cats supporter and member, I would probably say, oh yeah, they can't lose this game, but... Then you also factor in that Jeremy Cameron could have to miss this game because he did some stuff nine months ago. His partner's due date is in between rounds one and two, I believe. But he said, if I get the news and I have to leave at halftime, so be it. Maybe I guess the the Cats could plan for the sub in that way to maybe specifically cover his absence. Also, at the time of recording, we don't know what the deal is going to be with Tom Hawkins, if he's going to play. I do feel pretty good about knowing that Ollie Henry would probably get more opportunities in place of those two, which against Collingwood is just like the perfect narrative. The booze will be deafening. I would assume that Henry's in the top 23 right now. Who would you see maybe being the guy that the Cats would have cover for Cameron? Would it be someone like uh, like a Shannon Neal? I guess. I'm not entirely sure, honestly. But I think that's possible. Maybe Ollie Dempsey. That's another one who could get consideration. One thing that I'm less worried about is missing Jake Kolejashny and Jack Henry as good as Jack was last year because this defense is still really deep. So long as Zach Guthrie continues his progression from last year, I'm pretty confident in that. And then, you know, you could throw Mark Blitzovs in a defensive role. Get more work in for Mark O'Connor. Also worth noting that Mitch Duncan has returned to the team after having gone back to South Australia. He looks unlikely to play at this point, and that Sam Benegola had knee surgery recently. Interesting note, Duncan is listed on the roster as a defender rather than a midfielder now. On the Collingwood side, Jack Ginevan did ketamine in all likelihood, and... Unlike Mr. Krabs, he lived to tell the tale, but he's going to be out for this game and the next. Longer-term injuries, Nathan, we knew about Nathan Kruger's shoulder injury, and more recently, just a couple weeks ago in the preseason game against Hawthorne, Pat Lipinski did his shoulder, and that required reconstructive surgery, so he's likely out until the midseason bye. So I expect my sleeper Josh Carmichael to have a much more important role because of that Lipinski really grew into the team pretty quickly and ended up being one of their their more clutch midfielders. Kind of slipped under the radar earlier on in the season because you had, you know, bigger names that were being discussed, like Jordan Dugowie for good or for bad, usually for good on the field, and what the Daycost brothers were doing. I actually remember really early in the season being very impressed with Lipinski's role and, you know, people saying, hey, this is kind of the you know, counter to giving up Adam Trelore. As of now, you got Geelong favored by nine and a half. Again, we talked about, you know, the situation coming off their their flag and everything that's going on before the game. I'd like to think this is Geelong's game just because of all the narratives and stuff, but I don't feel incredibly confident. I'm going to wait to tip this one until pretty late. I want to see what the injury report ends up being. But of course, that probably won't even matter because 30 minutes from game time, Chris Scott will swing another change. Gotta get started with it early. I love it. I don't know. Whatever the fuck Chris Scott wants to do, he'll do. He won a flag with a team of his own making. He deserves it. The Cats and Pies also meet round 22. I feel like they're bound to split the season series. And I feel better about Geelong winning the first one, I guess. 
from last year's premiers to teams that definitely weren't premiers and probably won't be in the foreseeable future. North Melbourne will be premiers in 3093. Yeah, we've got North Melbourne hosting West Coast at Marvel Stadium to open Saturday's action. It's the spoon-off, or a retroactive spoon-off, I guess. I think whoever loses this game should get, like, the super spoon or something. Is it a silver there, spoon? There needs to be something. I feel like... Is it a silver spoon because they're going to be fed Harley Reed? Oh, I hadn't considered that, but, like, you know how in soccer there's, like, the Super Cup or the FA Community Shield or whatever? Supercopa, yeah. Yeah, this would basically be like that, except it's a game that actually counts as well. It's hard to believe that the game they played last year counted, but it sure did. It was also at Marvel Stadium in round two. Because why the fuck would you put these teams at the G? I mean, North doesn't play home games at the G at this point. But it was a 15-point win for North, and West Coast had top-ups. And I just want to make a special mention of Declan Mountford was in the stands expecting to just be watching the game from there after being called up as just for the list. Coach went into the stands right before the game and said, hey, you're on. And I believe he and Dermot Brereton actually entered the rooms of the elevator together because Brereton was doing a media spot. And there was a little inset on the screen in the first few minutes of Mountford completing his warmups and then getting out onto the oval. That's how fucky it all was. And we weren't sure after that game. It was like, do we commend the Eagles for keeping it close? Do we criticize North for not winning by more? Both is good. It was very confusing. Both is good. It was extremely confusing. And I was disappointed that the Eagles couldn't get more inspired by what their merry band of misfits did in round two and be able to put things together a little bit more than they did overall. I mean, I expected more than two wins. I think both these teams should win more than two this year. I think each should at least, like, absolute worst scenario, win about four. And I think more than that is totally within the cards. All I can say is welcome aboard, Alistair Clarkson. Are you ready for the ride that you've decided to operate? As I talked about in the preview, sometimes it can be really tough for a coach that's used to success to kind of pilot a rebuild and be willing to, you know, try to find positives at the end of blowout losses and things like that. And even remember where you're coaching, apparently, because he still says Hawthorne in meetings sometimes. Not unlike Bryce Harper wanting to bring a title to D.C. Hey, he did. I mean, I don't know if he did. I think Howie Kendrick was a bit more of a contributor, but it happened. Hashtag natitude. Anyway, it's a good thing these teams meet twice because we deserved a second meeting last year and we didn't get it. They will be playing in round 20 at Optus. Overall, there are just so many new faces. There are just different faces. A more complete list for both for so many reasons. North obviously brought in Griffin Logue and Darcy Tucker in their trade of the care package with Frio. We should be able to see Will Phillips because he missed all of last season with a couple bouts of glandular fever or, or as we call it in North America, mono which is just a nasty thing to get, and he had it a couple times. Kane Corns lay off the guy. For North, you won't be seeing for Mackay, it actually is, whatever his real name is. And actually, Tucker, speaking of, isn't going to be in this one because he's still rehabbing from a knee injury. Also waiting to see what Callum Coleman-Jones' timeline is after tearing his plantar fascia. For the Eagles, you know, the usual questions of Luke Shuey and Nick Natanui's fitness, Jack Darling, a little slower start to the season, still finishing up, rehabbing from an ankle injury. Hopefully he's good to go right away because he rounded into form in the second half of the season nicely, and I can imagine the Eagles could have done some good with that earlier on. It's unfortunate that Josh Rotham in particular is going to be out because I thought he would have stood a chance to have an important role as kind of a, a second-rate ruck and, you know, using his speed is a tall player for good thankfully billy williams is progressing all right so i guess it's going to be jameson and williams in the ruck against todd goldstein and tristan jerry also ruben ginby leads a four pack of players making their eagles debut on saturday and three of them are making their afl debuts ginby was the number nine pick in this past draft also no along the last selection they made in november at pick 58 is getting a perceived early debut, so 
great signs there. Nice to have an emerging small forward, perhaps. Campbell Chesser will finally be playing his first game as well. He was their top pick in the 2021 draft with pick 14, but missed all of last season injured. And then also Jaden Hunt, a premiership player with Melbourne, will be playing his first in blue and gold. West Coast is favored by one and a half. I'm kind of leaning north here. I don't know. I just feel like first game, vibes... I think they're a less bad roster in their current form, just with who's available. I'm still not sold on on either team on this one. I want to see how quickly Oscar Allen gets into things again. He missed all of last year, and I honestly think that he could be somewhat high in the Coleman race because I was impressed by marking, and because of how obvious a target he's going to be, he's going to be in those packs often. So hopefully he can get involved quickly. I like the idea of Allen getting getting multiple goals even more with Mackay being out. Game on, Flynn Perez, Josh Goder. Perez was my sleeper, by the way, for North. But will he be smoking that Rouge pack after this game? Tune in Saturday to find out. One last fantasy point I wanted to make. I was surprised Josh Goder got drafted. He's someone that, that I think a number of people have predicted to be a bit of a riser North's defense. They're, look, everybody's going to get a shot, or at least they ought to. I'm excited to see, not a defender, but Harry Sheasel. We will not be seeing George Wardlaw. He's still recovering from a hamstring injury, but we get Harry Sheasel. Is he going to keep kosher for Passover during the season? I mean, you can do that with minimal negative impacts. It's, it's a lot easier than, like, observing Ramadan. Yeah, which just impressed me so much that that athletes have been able to do that during the season. Bashar Huli has done it. I think Adam Saad has done it. Woof. Now we've, you know, casually mentioned times at which games are for each of these first few games, but looking at Port and Brisbane, this is just a mess. And it served as a reminder for both of us, you, Ethan, in particular, that Queensland is currently half an hour behind South Australia because Queensland does not observe daylight savings time or summertime, as it's called in a lot of the Commonwealth. Yeah, it's one of the really weird time zone things. Like, there are a lot, if you really want to look at the world's time zones, I think, like, the go-to weird time zone fact is the three-and-a-half-hour change if you cross the very small border between China and Afghanistan, but there's so many more than that, but countries that are, like, 30 minutes or 45 minutes off, and... This is one within a country that's really fucking weird. So yeah, let's have at it. So the game is at 4.05 p.m. local time on March 18th at the Adelaide Oval. Let's just let's just start with that. In Queensland, it's going to be 3.35 p.m. So weird, you're, you're going substantially eastward, and hey, we're half an hour behind. In Victoria and Tasmania, New South Wales, it's going to be 4.35 p.m. by that point. For American viewers, 1.35 a.m. Eastern, 10.35 p.m. Pacific. The weird vibes of Port Adelaide day games are not lost on me because we've been so used to them playing night games, but when they have played their rare day games at home the last couple of years, they've done well in them. That's when they beat up on the Swans last year and... And that was one that really surprised me, thinking back to that Swans one, because I believe Tom Curry and Darcy Byrne-Jones were out that game, and Tom Jonas put on a spoiling clinic. Him and his brothers. There you go, finally. You'd struggled to come up with a Jonas Brothers reference for weeks when we were talking about Port previously. And that back six for Port should be tested a lot with the depth that Brisbane have added in the forward half. I mean, to think that Jack Gunston is maybe the third option on the taller side. And a big difference between round one this year and last year for Brisbane is they're also going to have Eric Hipwood. However, the Lions will be without Dean Zorko, Darcy Gardner, and Kalamachi, all various leg injuries. Zorko had been rehabbing his hamstring for a while. It's, you know, been the major complaint for him these past couple years. How many times have you seen him on the sideline getting it stretched out? Or, you know, with the trader using, like, the roller on it. So for him to miss games is probably, if anything, just surprising that it hadn't happened sooner. 
I mean, a 34, it's not really surprising at this point. Port's injury list looks pretty clean. We haven't had anything confirmed about Jeremy Finlayson with his ankle issue. Currently, it seems like he's more on the doubtful side, if anything. You know, I think he's a pretty smart guy. But things are pretty stable there in their best 23, which Finlayson was having trouble getting into at the start of last year that he established himself when Port kind of went no ruck. Thinking back to that round one game again last year, that was one with another big comeback. Port led by four goals with four minutes left in the third. And then the Lions scored six goals. Second straight year, these teams are only meeting in round one. Scheduling algorithm, you've done it again. Yeah, they're actually, I'm a little surprised. Only four of the nine matchups are teams that are going to face off again later in the season. And Richmond and Carlton isn't one of them. Before the most recent batch of injury news, I saw the Lions being favored by one and a half. I still like the Lions of this one just because I like them in general going into the season. But tough road trip, poor day games. I'm not super committed to the pick. You know, last year it was really nice not having games overlap, especially in the early rounds, and that's not happening this year. Who actually, ad break first. But before we get to those complaints... Ad time. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Welcome back. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Americans Footy. That's where we are on YouTube as well. You can find me, Jefferson Steelflex, individually at Castle Media. That's Castle with a K. I am at A underscore Yakatori 5. Actually, I'm at Benjamin HK01. So my apologies if anybody has that first handle I mentioned. I didn't bother checking. I just checked. There isn't. Okay, probably for the better. There is an A underscore Yakitori, but not a five. Brian Haram is just biding his time in the windowsill. Care to join him? If so, he's on Instagram at catnamedgrian. Hey, remember the grand final rematch? Want to have that same game played again in 2023? Yeah, let's do it. Um, Because we've seen it so much the last couple of years, the Demons and Bulldogs play a lot. They're only playing once this year. It'll be at the G, Demon's the home team. I hope this one draws well because it deserves it, although I am kind of down on the Bulldogs right now. There's a lot to say about, you know, what new things the Bulldogs are employing right now with the, the key forward rotation, the return of Liam Jones, Josh Bruce being moved back. It seems like Luke Beveridge is actually making an effort to try different things for once. So there's that. I just think the... Current injury situation for the dogs leaves them in a pretty difficult spot. And their first few rounds are not a great time for that to happen. The Saints after this, and they host them, but then hosting the Lions, the road team against Richmond, Port in the Gather Round. And then round six, they're at Frio. Oh, here go hell come. Me, the Western Bulldogs, getting depth contributions? Well, when the teams met for the second time last year... I don't know if you could quite call Jamari Hagen a depth piece, but he was awesome in a 10-point win. Sia was also excellent. That's where the depth came in there. But yeah, I remember watching the rematch from Oregon in this little Airbnb that my dad and I had rented out while we were going to the World Athletics Championships. It had three rooms and no chairs. When they batted round one, the Demons did win by 26. Melbourne's injury list is... Very short, other than Christian Salem with his thyroid condition, but he could be back in rounds two or three. And we didn't know for a while about a couple other of their 2021 Premiership players, but we do now know that Bailey Fritch and Jack Viney are both out. Fritch scored every game for Melbourne last year, but he's got a foot injury, and Viney looked like he might have gotten up for a while, 
but his knee injury is keeping him out of at least this opener. I think on a lot of other lists, Viney would honor a lot more attention because he's he's still a pretty good, you know, mid to long range kick for goal. And then obviously this is going to be the first time we're going to see the Max gone Brody Grundy come in home and away play. So that's going to be fun. Also, don't sleep on Lockie Hunter. He's not someone that we mentioned in our home and away preview of Melbourne. And that was a bit short sighted of me. Had a very good summer. Sounds like Stephen May is also in doubt with some calf tightness, so could be a bit of a fresher look for the Demons overall. Demons are favored by 10.5. Something tells me I think they're going to win this one pretty comfortably. A lot of it depends on how well the Gone-Grundy combination can handle things in their time at full forward. I'm going to really keep my eye on Liam Jones coming back to the Bulldogs and looking really in form. I think Jones could really serve as a mentor to Ed Richards in the back six because Richards does seem like he could be a stable piece there for the long term if he doesn't have too many head knocks. The Bulldogs injury situation, by the way, Tony Waitman, Arthur Jones, and your sleeper, Dom Bedendo, have all been ruled out with groin injuries. So watch for Mitch Hannon's inclusion because he kicked five in a VFL practice match. And I remember he had some highlights early on last year. I believe he was a goal and mark of the week winner in the first few rounds. Um, multiple players having groin injuries is kind of funny. It's not as good as, you know, the Dwight Howard butt injury, but just worth noting. Also for the dogs, don't forget that Ryan Tikabasala Gardner is out for these first few weeks with an elbow issue. So this is where our first overlap comes into play. Two games that are going to be going at the same time. These will be starting 35 minutes apart or so. And I hope that this next one can start becoming a bit of a rivalry. You know, there's not a super close proximity. It's two bordering states. But the Swans and Suns have had some good contests over the course of their 12 years in the league together, including these past couple. In fact, I think the Suns might be the only team to have consecutive wins going against the Swans at the SCG right now, a streak going. Hard enough to believe they took care of by 14 points in round eight last year. What I remember about that game was sitting there and thinking, all right, when are the Swans going to take over and make this push? And it just, it never happened. I wasn't really sure if it was, you know, that good of a game out of the Suns even. Most of our notes from that game were negatives about the Swans rather than positives about the Suns. Isaac Riken was roughing things up a bit, and that was something that we thought of as a positive, but uh, they can't rely on him anymore. What they can finally rely on is Ben King, who should be good to go for round one. He's actually been a somewhat common Colden medal pick. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he's best served as a key forward. I get, you know, coming back from an ACL, he might not be on the move as much, but I just appreciated the tall kind of center half forward work a couple years ago, and hopefully that's not lost, especially when the Suns have a bunch of boards as well, hoping for full years out of Malcolm Rosas Jr. and Joel Jeffrey, of course. Even with Rankin's departure, I'm liking the stock that the Suns have in their forward third, and hopefully in these next few years, they and that core really begins to establish themselves. Meanwhile, the Swans are the known quantity. They're mostly healthy, although Tommy, Robbie Fox, and Ryan Clark are ruled out of round one. Oh, joy, Pete Laddams. Perhaps Joe Alamarty or Hayden McLean getting in there both sound unlikely, but not completely impossible. I think Amarty's still also rehabbing a hamstring injury as well. So, I mean... I'm expecting Peter Laddams to do something stupid during the game. If not, I'll just keep expecting it until it happens this season. By the way, this game's going to be a 7 o'clock local start at the renamed Heritage Bank Stadium on the Gold Coast. So it's 8 p.m. for New South Wales and Victoria and Tasmania on Saturday the 18th. So that's 5 a.m. Eastern, 2 a.m. Pacific for American viewers. I look forward to this game being on Fox Footy. 
because a certain three-time player with the Brisbane Lions will likely make his first appearance of the season. We need to have like an I love Lynchy sign for sure. I really want to meet the guy. He was just what he was probably the first media personality we could just we could really identify, just be able to latch onto. Oh, we know this guy. Swans are favored by eight and a half in this Saturday night cap. I think the Swans come out and win this game. I think the Subs will keep it close and respectable, but I don't think they win this one. I hope the Suns give me reason to think that they can contend for September. How often do you think we're going to hear that trumpet fanfare? I think we'll hear it, like, I don't know, 10 to 12 times. I just still think they lose. With how much I like what the McCart brothers did for nearly all of last year, I think it's definitely going to be a challenge for the Suns' young forwards to really get on the good end of frequently. Moving on to Sunday. Another matchup between two non-finalists from last year. There are three of those, including this one, Adam Kingsley's first game as a head coach as GWS hosts Adelaide at Giants Stadium. This will be at 1.10 p.m. local time on Sunday, so 12.40 Adelaide. It'll still be Saturday in the U.S., 10.10 p.m. on the East Coast, 7.10 p.m. on the West Coast. Yeah, for these first couple weeks, these games start an hour earlier for us because we just started Daylight Savings Time here in the United States, and it has yet to end in Australia. So, I mean, this is going to be like tuning into just a normal West Coast-timed baseball or hockey game for me. I look forward to that. These teams met just once last year. It was a very disappointing performance for the Crows. A 59-point loss. At home, no less. Where they really just never showed up, which was kind of uncharacteristic of how they played at home for most of the year. I just remember being pretty disgusted with that. These teams will meet at the Adelaide Oval in round 18. GWS is favored by 7.5 here, which kind of surprises me. With how much we've talked about the Crows being potential risers, it is a bit of a surprise. I don't know, are they that motivated by Toby Green being their cap? Toby had an excellent game in that round eight matchup last year. And that was also the first time that Lockie Whitfield had a real positive game because he'd started the season really cold. The player that I'm going to be keeping my eye on in this one is Harry Himmelberg. He's expected to be in the forward line. I'm not sure if that's the right move. I want to see if and how Kingsley really splits his time. Chance for a couple debuts of first round picks of this one. Top pick Aaron Cadman for the Giants. For the father-son pick Max Michelini, a defender there. Ethan, who do you think Braden Pruce is, is going to get into it with this game? I feel like the easy answer is Riley O'Brien. But I'm going to go in a different direction. Let's go. Let's go with my guy. Harry Schoenberg? I'm going to go with Tex Walker. I don't even know if he's going to be on the, if Schoenberg is even going to be on the list for this. I hope he is. I got there were a couple Crows fans on r slash AFL that, that I was talking with on, you know, a, a sleeper question I'd post on there that, that really had propped up Schoenberg for the year. I'm not sure what exactly his body type reminds me of other than not a football player, but that's why I like Which him. Which is what makes it so fun to see him. Exactly. Giants are favored by seven and a half, and despite how much I don't normally like the Crows on the road, I've actually taken Adelaide not just to cover, but wit. I think I am too. I think that as much as Sam Taylor does so well for for them defensively, it's going to be hard for him to stop the multiple talls they have, especially if Darcy Fogarty picks up where he left off last year, as I expect him to. He's going to need to be that number one forward target soon. And I think he's ready to really be that on the tall side with Rankin being it on a bit of the smaller end. Um, you want to talk a little bit about the Victorian bias? I mean, we're not big on it, but we understand why it's so prevalent in discussions for interstate teams. I get a heavy dose of talk like that by just being an Eagles fan. What's the Victorian bias you're talking about here? Essendon and Hawthorne getting national TV and the kind of prime Sunday time slot. Years ago, this was a really fun opener. I remember watching that one live when 
Essendon led by 40 late in the second quarter, and Hawthorne came home by one. Gryan's vet must have been very happy then. Yeah, I, I mean, it was a fun game, but this is not a game that I would pick to be nationally televised. I would pick a couple of the other Saturday games. Or maybe the nightcap on Sunday, given the built-in storyline. But yeah, I mean, these are teams that we expect to still be down this year. I mean, we everybody pretty much knows it's going to be the case for Hawthorne. And then Essendon, I mean, I don't think they, they really improved that much this offseason. It's going to be relied on can their defenders actually defend. We saw a bit near the end of the season from Jordan Ridley and particularly from Brandon Zirk Thatcher, who had who had shown some promise when he could keep his pants up to be the key defender. They have no shortage of players who can run it through half back like they kind and Mason Redmond. The regrets as he's been moved back. They need that real anchor in defense. Now that I think about it, it's kind of fitting that Hind plays in the back. And you only caught on to this after three years of watching. I mean, I think I've thought of it before. I don't know. But joke. But that really fun matchup was huge comeback from Hawthorne was two years ago. In round eight last year, Essendon beat Hawthorne by 17 at Marvel. And that was just their second win all the year. I forgot that Essendon actually won four of six last year at one point. And still fired their coach. Yeah, when two of those were against teams that made prelims. There's a lot about this club that I don't understand right now. I think the question could just be, Essendon? Yeah, it, it pretty much this whole year for me, Essendon with the uh, the Atero bang at the end. You know, that combination question mark exclamation point. That's what that thing's called. Intero bang. Giggity. So welcome back to coaching, Brad Scott. Unlike Clarkson, we haven't spent a couple years watching what his coaching style was like. I imagine he's going to be taking some things from his twin. But unfortunately, there's only one Mark Blitzoffs. There's also only one Jake Stringer, and he won't be playing in this game because of his hamstring injury. At this point, you could just write in the injury report, just with, with no other comment, just Jake Stringer. And everyone will understand. Like, his, his injury is just being Jake Stringer. Yeah, the Essendon injury list is not great. Unsure of when Jai Caldwell is going to be back from his ankle injury. Kyle Langford is also a test. We'll see if his back heals up. We know that Nick Cox and Zach Reed are still rehabbing from their own back injuries. Dyson Heppel might not be playing. And the list goes on. Matt Wolfie's doubtful. Not dead. Ben Hobbs is likely to miss. Zach Reed and James Stewart are both out for the first few rounds. So it doesn't bode well on that front for Essendon to start things this season. So hopefully we see some new faces other than Elijah Sadas, whose timeline we don't know, but it's probably a couple months. Tell me why, again, people think Essendon are going to be these risers this year. I have absolutely no idea. I mean, I think they could be a couple games better, but I certainly don't see them as a finals team. I don't see them escaping the bottom third. Yeah, I think, like, I mean, what's their their best case scenario? Like, 13th? Maybe 12th, if we could really, really get excited. As for Hawthorne, you know, we've said, we've said our piece about how we like what they're doing, even though it's probably not going to be pretty this year. Especially with Mitch Lewis being out for the start of things. Before that, like, I would have made him a Coleman pick, so that's definitely an unfortunate turn of events. But your Coleman pick is in this game on the other side. Yeah, I go with snake bite Peter Wright. Just, you know, I think to myself, the guy who's not going to have too much competition for goals at times. Really, it's just as long as he stays healthy, that's where, like, you know, Jeremy Cameron and Tom Hawkins are playing off each other and occasionally could be hurt. So, yeah, I'm going with snake bite here. Two-meter Peter. I'm much more interested in watching Hawthorne this season than I am Essendon, and I'll come around to all 18 clubs in some way, shape, or form. I even came around to North last year. If both these teams give me reason to watch them, you know, Hawthorne, I think, probably going to be less interested in some of their games in the second half this year, but I think they'll still be, you know, at the very least, well-coached. I have no idea what to think about this 
Essendon team at all, frankly. And so you probably have no idea of what to think about them being favored by nine and a half? Yeah, that's, so I just filled out my tipping stuff for round one, and I think this is probably, like, the toughest, because I just, I have no idea in terms of, you know, style of game, in terms of who dominates. Like, this game is such a wild card, which I think makes it fun. Makes it worth tuning in for me. And also, hopefully we'll be seeing a couple of debuts for Hawthorne in their high draft picks, Cam McKenzie and Josh Weddle. McKenzie looked to be playing really above his age just in terms of his maturity and his decision-making with the Sharon in hand against Collingwood in their last preseason game. Also confirmed debut for Alwyn Davy Jr. Let's go. And so I think Hawthorne and Essendon will be a closer and more compelling game than the finale of round one, which will be overlapping with it because Sundays just always overlap. Ross Lion Cup, baby. That's right. We finish off the round with St. Kilda hosting Frio at Marvel Stadium. This one gets underway 4.40 p.m. local time, 1.40 p.m. back in Perth, 1.40 a.m. on the East Coast of the United States, and for us on the West Coast, it'll still be Saturday, actually, 10.40 p.m. This will be another Fox Soccer Plus game. I'm glad that we get Hawthorne and Essendon on FS2, so, I mean, no complaints here, although Frio will be you know, the most relevant of the four teams in this later window when it's all said and done this season. These teams only meet once this year. They met twice last year. The road team won both meetings back in round two. St. Kilda beat Frio by 10. And, you know, after a slow round one for the Saints, we thought that we might have been onto something with thinking that, that they could have contended for finals. And, you know, we looked right up until the halfway point of the season. Did it rain during that first meeting, or was that I just... I don't recall rain. Rain was for the home game against Collingwood and at Gold Coast the week prior to that. Frio cleaned things up at Marvel in round 17, though, to the tune of a 41-point win. And one of their most accurate goal-kicking games of the year, too, kicking 17-9. I didn't think St. Kilda would be very good if they were healthy. They're not healthy. Of the more notable players injured, Jack Billings, Jack Hayes, Zach Jones, Max King, Dan McKenzie, Seb Ross, Nick Caulfield as well, though I don't, I didn't think of him as super significant, and then we'll see about Marcus Windhager. He seems to be in line for surgery, and so missing a round or two. It's not as bad as, you know, some of the, like the West Coast COVID injury lists. It wasn't as bad as some of the Eagles injury lists last year. Not just the COVID ones, I think, like, altogether, but this is not good. And Jack, 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 Jack Hayes had a setback in his recovery, so he's probably out until around their bye at this point. So they really need some solutions to emerge on the taller side of things. So I can my sleeper pick Anthony Caminiti for that even more, and he could honestly get a round one debut with just how decimated things are. I'm also looking forward to really watching Rowan Marshall being the first-rate ruck again. It's not something he's been in four years. It's a lot more responsibility for him. Hopefully his PCLs hold up. The problem is it takes him out of that forward role that, you know, when he would switch off with Patty Ryder that I thought was pretty good. We'll see if Brennan Cox is good to go. As he's finishing up recovering from a knee injury, looked like it was a bit of a concern during the week, so maybe a bit more doubtful on that than we are of Michael Frederick with his qual. O'Meara seems to have a good prognosis on his ankle, and I really want to see what he does right away because I because I think he'll have a lot of opportunity picking up areas where Lake Acres and not and Nat Fife have been in the past. Not to mention David Mundy as well. I nearly forgot that Mundy had retired just because when you think Frio, you just automatically expect to see Mundy there. It's not anymore. So O'Meara really could be a guy that Frio ends up building this next generation of the midfield around. He's already got some more experience in him, so he could end up being an important leadership figure in that middle six. For some reason, I thought he was older than 29. I mean, to Sam Mitchell, that was like, ancient 
Frio being favored by 10 and a half, all things considered. I would favor them by a lot more. I'd double that with ease, maybe further. I mean, sometimes the way they play is funky, but... Look, it's not going to be raining indoors. I think they're just the far superior team here, even if I'm not a fan of some of the moves they've made. As I said, they got younger in their important spots really quickly. And so I think this will be right opponent for those younger players like Nathan O'Driscoll, Jai Amos, to get themselves on good footing to start the season. Because actually they've got a pretty decent stretch to really ease into things these first few rounds after the Saints, Frio host North and then have the home Western Derby. It's going to really pick up for them in the three weeks before they're by when they go to the Swans, host Geelong, and go to Melbourne. I like this team. I don't like them as much as last year, but I think they're looking at another finals run. I don't think we're going to be talking about flag mantle this year. I don't think so either, but I'm in for surprises. We've seen far less of that in like Instagram comments and stuff than we did at this time last year. And if Rio do get off to a good start the first couple months, keep in mind what is coming in the schedule, whether it's, you know, those three weeks or the stretch afterward when they've got the Swans, Cats, and Lion, when they've got the Dogs, Blues, Pies, Swans, Cats, and Lions six weeks in a row, rounds 16 through 21. Uh, Before we wrap this up, I want to introduce a question that we're going to try to end every round preview with. Who's going to be the main character of this round? Because as we talked about, every round has a main character. Sometimes it's good to be the main character. Sometimes it's a really bad thing. The main character doesn't have to always be a player. It can be a media personality or even just a fan. Like, I would almost consider that Geelong fan last year against Melbourne to be the main character. The one given, like, the pallion arm gesture. Yes. After, was it a Cam Guthrie goal? I think so. It's still one of my favorite gifts. Do you have any guesses? I think some something really silly. This week, I can't really think of a super silly one, so I'm going to go with the kind of kind of sincere one, but Benjamin, I'm going to open it up to you. You go first. I think Ross Lyon is going to be a main character because he's always an entertaining interview. It's like how Luke Beveridge is, you know, just a good guy for sound bites. I think Lyon's return and for it being against the other club that he coached. I think that's some content, especially when this ought to be a reality check for St. Kilda in this opener against a team that already should be ahead of them by leaps and bounds. And if they somehow spring a surprise, Lyon will definitely be a main character. You know, I feel like that's such an easy answer, so I'm going to go in a different direction. Bring it on. I'm going to go with a player. I'm going to go Nick Larky's going to score like five goals. Larky and, you know, the combination of Tom Barris and Jeremy McGovern ought to be fun. There's a good chance Larky also just goes scoreless, but I don't care. I'm going to have some fun with this pick. If I want to nominate a player... Maybe one that's a little out of the box as main character. I mean, Bobby Hill would be another easy answer. True. I I assume he's going to get a goal and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I won't even, unless it's in like a really bad situation, but I can't be upset when that happens. I could honestly see Caleb Daniel being a main character from the back six in that D's dogs game if it gets a little turbulent, or if it just stays close. What if he just has another tackle on Max gone, and it actually turns things in the dog's direction? Wouldn't rule that out. And I think he's just been underreported this offseason with the focus being on Liam Jones and the conversation around, you know, and Josh Bruce going back and the conversation, where is Aaron Non going to be? Don't sleep on how intelligent of a ball user and just how good a fighter for possessions on the ground Caleb Daniel is. All right, with that, I think we are just about done here, unless can't really think of anything we've missed. And if we missed something, I'm sure it's going to come up and slap us in the face during the game, and we'll definitely at American's footy. You'll always be able to tell which one of us is tweeting, by the way, because 
We sign our tweets with a B for me and E for Ethan. You can find me individually on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. Might put a few Eagles takes on there. You can find me individually at Castle Media. That's, of course, Castle with a K. And only one L. A lot of people think our, our last name has two L's. And, of course, Grachne is on Instagram at Kathleen Grime. We'll be back recording on one recap side by side. Probably on a Sunday or Monday night U.S. So look for that early next week and just enjoy the return of the footy. How good is it?